What's up, tribe? I'm Ezekiel Kendrick. And this is Duke of All Trades. And this is $2 Slap. And we want you to be a part of the discussion. Contact us by email at $2slap at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at $2.slap. Instagram at $2.slap. And Twitter at 2slap. Duke, we are back at it again. What's up, man? How was your week? Man, it was good, man. I can't complain. I'm still trying to find the next project in regards to real estate, man. So, mm-hmm. they're trying to find another um, uh, way to bring some income in, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but that's pretty much it, man. Kids doing good. Everything's going well. I can't complain at all, man. How about you? No, I can't complain either. I mean, I've been busy as I don't know what. Um, trying to stay focused and find that balance in my schedule because I can definitely see myself going into the overdoing it part again. Um, like I said, it's been a busy week. Got a lot of my clients coming back. Um, so my mornings to midday, basically from 7 to 6 p.m. has been packed, you know. So, uh, again, I can't complain because there's a lot of people who don't have that, you know what I mean? So um, just doing what I do. And, um, you know, pleasure to be here with you once again, my friend. Yeah, I know, man. It's, it's, I, I do have something to say, though. Um, that's a Krispy Kreme. That's about the Krispy Kreme that burnt up. No. Okay. I gotta say this. There's a Krispy Kreme that's not too far from my house, and somebody set it on fire. And I don't understand nowadays all the stuff going on, all the things you can do. Why have you set a Krispy Kreme on fire? Because mm-hmm. now the Krispy Kreme I used to go to to get the hot glazed donuts, I can't go there anymore. I gotta go to the one that's on the other side of town, and they never have the hot fresh sign on. Mm. All they got the cold donuts, and you know when the donuts get cold, they got their little dandruff-looking flakes on the on the glazed donuts, and I hate those. So now I gotta go over there to get those because the one that I like going to is always hot. I can't go anywhere. I can't go anymore because somebody set it on fire. I mean, damn. They I mean, have nothing that's better to do. I mean, look, the, the world's in a tough place, man. You know, maybe that person had a bad experience at Krispy Kreme, you know, and they just that's the only way they could express themselves. I mean, I'm sorry that happened to you. You know, hopefully, um, because there's no competition for the place across town, they can now get that hot fresh sign and people are gonna be coming to them, you know. That's all I got, man. That's all I got. All I just wanna get that off my chest, but um uh, everything else is good. Everything else okay. is good. Yeah. Uh I didn't have any quite any any such experiences, so uh yeah, you know. So uh what what's our focus today? What what's what's our uh, our topic of conversation in today's episode? Well, the topic of conversation is we actually have a guest today. Her name is Brenda Shaw. She is an awesome realtor in the city of Atlanta. Um I actually worked with her on a, a couple of house purchases. I've actually worked with her as well on a couple of flips that I've done. So um I wanted to bring her in. Uh we can get some insight from her, her knowledge, her experience that she can share with everybody. And um uh, that's what we got for today. All right, that sounds good. Sounds like you're ahead of the game. If you work with already, you you know some of the uh, inside scoop on uh, getting this property out here. So I'm ready to find out. I'm ready to hear what she has to say. So uh, Well, let's get it. All right, well, in today's show, we have Brenda Shaw, who is a real estate investor in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, very experienced. Definitely helped me out in a couple of transactions. And uh, she came to give us some insight to our listeners on what they need to do as far as um, trying to find a new house, trying to sell their house. And things like that. So thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, so to start off, just give us a little bit of background about yourself. 
Okay, um, so my name is Brenda Shaw, and I've been a realtor for right around 15 or 16 years. Um, something I like to share is that I have been um, an independent contractor for the last 25 years. So I've had the ability to create my own income through um, a massage therapy practice prior to being a realtor and um, a realtor again. At one point, those two careers overlapped at the beginning of the recession. And so I decided to pick the one that would bring the most bang for the buck, and it was real estate. Makes sense. All right. And uh, what year was it when you started real estate? I got my license in 2005, um, and I had a pretty good year uh, up until 2007. And that was when the bottom fell out. And I learned a lot about foreclosures and short sales and, you know, people walking away from houses and, and mortgage fraud and <laughs> all kinds of things that I probably never would have known about had I not mm -hmm. um, been in the market at that time. So even though it was a bad time, it actually probably benefits you, benefits you the most to kind of start at that time. Yes, absolutely. Because I I would have just jumped in and sold houses and bought houses. And it was actually kind of funny because there were some veteran realtors who mm. didn't know how to navigate that market because mm. that was something they never faced. And we lost a lot of realtors during that time. They just walked away from the business. Mm -hmm. So as um, a person buying a property, what, um, what would you say is the first step that they need to take um, to purchase a property? Um, they need to know where they stand credit-wise. They need to take the time, go pull your credit report, look at and make sure that everything on there is accurate. You know, did you have this bill? Did you pay this bill off? Is it showing as delinquent? Um, and I also think that they should talk to a, a lender because a lender can sort of guide you through what you need to do if your credit isn't where it needs to be. Um, they can guide you where to get your score so that you can purchase a home. Uh, even if you have a lot of money, I don't feel like um, you can purchase a home <laughs> with a 500 credit score. You can have a lot of money in the bank and the lender's just going to tell you to go away and come back when you get your score up. I'm glad you said that. So listeners, remember what she said. So credit is actually more important than cash when purchasing a house unless you have all cash. If you have all cash, nobody well, cares. But exactly, exactly. <laughs> but credit is more important, so make sure your credit is on point. Um, so, as far as like um, buyers is purchasing a property and when they approach you, actually, let's get before that. As far as um, a real estate agent, what exactly does a real estate agent do in depth? What does a real estate agent do in depth? Mm -hmm. um, so. We walk you through the process from beginning to end. I like to say that uh, my I work for free until you actually reach your goal, whether it's buying your house, selling your house, renting your condo, finding a condo to rent. Until I accomplish what you need done, I'm working for free. And that's how I earn my commission. Uh, that makes sense. So, Zeke, you have any questions? I say, yeah, we were talking about the lenders earlier, um, and you were saying that even if you walked in, excuse me, if you walked in, you had a 500 credit score, the lenders wouldn't be interested in talking to you. Um, but when you go in there, and let's say you have your your 
you've checked your credit, your credit rating or your credit score is sufficient. Um, my understanding is that the pre-approval is actually really important when it comes to looking for a property in terms of being of interest to the actual seller to take you seriously. Right. Um, a pre-approval means that the lender has actually pulled your credit, looked at your debts, looked at your income. You've gone through some, most of the underwriting process, if not all, and you've already cleared all of your conditions. Typically, a pre-approval leaves only like to find the property and to go th through the um, appraisal. And then after that, you're good to go. So, but a pre-qualification, they still have to go through the underwriting. And a lot of things can come up in underwriting that can make it a conditional, it does make it a conditional um, loan and you can walk out. That finance contingency is necessary on a pre-qualification. On a pre-approval, it is not necessarily um, okay. required. And how long does the process typically take when it comes to complete the whole buying process? Well, I have seen it done as <laughs> soon as 18 days, and mm. I've seen it take as long as 60 days. So mm. um, I would say COVID has changed a lot. I think that the appraisal piece of it has slowed down a lot of transactions. Um, mm. So, but 30 days is about average for, you know, contract to close. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, for like people looking to purchase a property, they'll get their pre-approval letter. Um, they'll find a, a real estate agent uh, like yourself um, that'll help them find a property. But in doing that, trying to find that property that they want, um, what exactly do they need to look for? What kind of criteria do they need to bring to you um, to find that property that they're looking for? Well, the first thing they need to be, they need to know where they're comfortable, uh, where their numbers are. Um, if they need to go over the asking price, they need to know that they have the funds that are necessary to do that. So once they talk to a lender, the lender is going to give them real numbers. The lenders, if I, I do know some people think, oh, well, I've saved about $2,500, so I should be able to buy a house. Um, $2,500 isn't a lot to buy a house. Hmm. The um, other thing is that they need to be prepared to take care of their own closing cost. Uh, a lot of a lot of buyers think that that is a seller requirement, but it's not. It is actually a buyer 100% buyer cost. It's the cost of you getting your loan and the seller doesn't have anything to do with that. If you ask them to help and they have a good heart, they can, but I would say most buyers need to have that money tucked away. And that typically can be somewhere between two and 3% of the purchase price of the home. So yeah, okay. on a $200,000 house, that's going to be another four to four to $6,000 that they need to bring to the table. Okay. All right. So I, I actually had two questions off of that. So when you say that the seller has the option to, let's say, be nice and, and, and help or to pay the closing costs, I know that you are based in, in Georgia. Is that, Specific to Georgia, is that across the country? Those are the kind of the, the rules when it comes to uh, purchasing property. Um, I would say across the country. It's, mm -hmm. it's not a seller cost. If you don't mm -hmm. have a loan, you don't have the, those closing costs. The closing yeah. costs are, you know, the origination fee. Um, they are the cost of setting up escrow accounts so that your taxes and insurance can come out of your mortgage payment. Um, 
maybe taxes paying paid in advance or you know things like that that they actually make you set up an account to purchase your home and that doesn't have anything to do with the seller because if you pay cash you don't have all of those fees Mm -hmm. you have legal fees you know for the closing attorney but there's nothing as far as a lender fee that's good to know and my second question was um just in the research and even conversation I've had, my understanding is that there's a difference between a realtor and a real estate agent. Could you kind of uh, explain the difference between those two? Yes. Um, all realtors are real estate agents, but all real estate agents are not realtors. Uh, realtors are held to a higher standard of care, and we are required to take an ethics um, class every two years and also Um, go over real estate law. We're held accountable by the real estate commission. And we are, you know, we're just expected to to have a higher standard of care. Um, One of the analogies I like to use is if you have coffee, you can have a good cup of caffeinated coffee, or you can have a cup of decaf coffee. They seem like the same, but they do completely different things for you in the long run. So as far as the process of buying a house, like I said before, you you got your credit straight, you got your pre-approval level, uh, pre-approval letter. Um, they found you as your real estate agent, and now they found a a house that they like. Now, once you find a house that you like, kind of what's the process at that particular point um, that you need to do to make everything sure everything is okay with the house before you purchase it. So, well, first of all, you do have to snag the house and that pre-approval letter comes in really handy there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. also having all of your ducks in a row, know what you're comfortable with, um, know if you're comfortable going over the asking price that you're able to come without asking for closing costs or, you know, things like that. Um, and then you should always, I always recommend that you get an, uh, an inspection. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. An inspection covers looks for latent defects. And a lot of people walk in a house and say, well, I didn't see anything that looked like I needed to get an inspection. Well, latent <laughs> means that you can't see it. No. So yeah, you might not know that there's mold in the basement. You know, you might've thought it was a smell down there, but you might need to know that there's, you might need to get a specialist out there to determine that it is mold. Yeah. Nothing hurts you. Um, nothing hurts you to spend that four or five hundred dollars to avoid thousands of dollars later on. Once you buy the house, it's your problem. Yeah. And I just had a friend purchase uh, a house recently. I would say recently in the past six months. And uh, I went on a couple of trips with her at looking at other properties that she was potentially going to be interested in. And what I noticed and what, what I think might happen a lot is that the excitement of purchasing property, especially if it's your first property, that might be why you need to have that inspector come in because when she was looking at properties, she was so excited. She's bringing friends with her and everyone's kind of looking, how many bedrooms are all the stairs here? Oh, the kitchen's very nice. And because they're excited, a lot of times you're not looking at those little things. And so I was kind of specifically walking around, looking in the garage and noticing, hey, there's black mold back here. Hey, there's a tree root from the tree behind the building kind of cutting into the roof over here. You know, and I was looking for those things because I know that's 
those are things that are going to cost you more down the line if you purchase this house and you haven't done your due diligence when it comes to that, you know? So, uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate that because I, I, I definitely understand that that's a very important aspect of making that, that purchase. And the funny thing about it is with this market and um, we have such a short supply of inventory, I think the experts are saying it's around about a three-month inventory. So that means if nobody else puts another house on the market, then every house on the market would be gone in three months, which is a very short period of time. Like if you think everything will be sold by, what is this, June, September, <laughs> that's really unheard of. So... Um, but a lot of buyers are giving up their inspections or, um, I recommend to my, my buyers to go ahead and do the inspection with the right to inspect. That doesn't mean that you're going to go back and ask the, um, sellers to do repairs, but that does mean that at least you're aware that, yes, I'm going to have to replace the roof in a couple of years or, Yes, the air conditioner needs R22 Freon, which is no longer available. So mm -hmm. I may have to change my air conditioner. Or maybe you'll go back to the seller and say, okay, this is that old Freon. Can you make sure you have the air conditioner serviced and provide me with a receipt before I close? And yeah. that will at least buy you some time. So mm -hmm. so with all that, um, is, is it, you, talk, you talked about due diligence. So as far as due diligence, how much time do you get to actually go through having an appraiser come in and check to make sure everything is okay or, or not, not okay? So interestingly enough, I'm glad you asked that, due diligence is not a necessity either. And a lot of buyers are in this market are foregoing due diligence. Mm. So in Georgia, we have a due diligence period. That just means that you have X amount of days. Typically, it could be three to 10 days, depending on what you want to do. But in Georgia, that due diligence gives you the right to terminate the contract. Like, say, for instance, you woke up and there was, you know, a rainy day and you decided you don't want to buy that house because it's raining today. You can actually get out of the contract by giving the seller notice and you take your money and you move on. So when you say take your money and move on, what, what money would that be if we hadn't purchased the house yet? That would be your earnest the money. earnest money? Okay. So when you make an offer, when you make an offer, you um, put forward, and a lot of people think earnest money is required, but it actually is not required either. But it does let the seller know that you're serious about buying it. And not only am I serious about buying your home, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And I'm going to adhere to the contract. And if I don't, you get to keep my money. So, but due diligence gives that seller, that, that buyer, I'm sorry, the time to change their mind and for no reason. However, if you do it with the right to inspect, that means the only way that you could terminate is if you have an inspection and the repairs are something that you and the seller can't agree upon or that you know you can't move forward with and you can terminate based on the inspection. And when I first got in the business, believe it or not, that's how we operate it. So a lot of people are going back to that rather than due diligence because, like I said, with due diligence, you can make 10 offers on 10 houses and get them all and terminate them all with no, mm. <laughs> you know, it's not a good idea, but, you know, you could. Um, so theoretically, so with, do with that, that earnest, I'm sorry, with that earnest money. So, 
if through the due diligence period, once you pass that due diligence and everything is fine, if you try to back out of the uh, of the deal, their earnest money would be lost at that particular point, right? Well, you still probably would have a finance contingency and or an appraisal contingency. And if neither one of those um, contingencies could be satisfied, you would have an out down the line a little bit. Um, but those two, um, those two timelines run consecutively. So the due diligence period runs consecutive with the uh, finance contingency, runs consecutive with the uh, appraisal contingency. But the due diligence period may only be 10 days, whereas the other two might be 20 days. Mm. So once you finish your due diligence, you would have 10 more days to complete finance. And the reason for that is you don't have a lot of control over when the appraiser goes out or when the lender is finished with mm. your loan. So. Okay. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper. So when you say the, um, the appraisal contingency, what do you mean by that? So say you bought a house for 250000 and mm -hmm. you decided that you were going to offer two fifty, and then mm -hmm. the house appraises. the uh, The appraiser is going to go out. He's going to look at apples to apples, typically three to five, or maybe more comparables um, in the same neighborhood, same school district, something like that, so that he has apples to apples. And then he is going to determine that value. He's going to determine if. Yes, it's this value, but you're going to need to fix the sidewalk. Or yes, it's this value, or you might need to cut down this tree. Or yes, it's this value, but there's no repairs needed. Or it's only worth 242. So if it's worth 242 and you offer it 250, you can go back to the seller and say, "This is what it appraised for. Will you sell it to me for 242?" And the seller can say, "Nope." Mm -hmm. <laughs> see you later oh, and then you walk away you don't lose your money but you would either walk away or you bring the additional money to the table so i just have a quick question about the appraisal process um like so recently i've seen in the news where um let's say people of color have maybe tried to have their homes appraised and when or the uh, evaluated and when the person comes in looks at it they give them the appraisal as to the value of their home. And then a few weeks later, or they'll have a different appraiser come in, but they may take all the pictures out of their home or things that are, um, that show who actually lives in the actual home. And they'll put a person of a different ethnicity in that home and have the house appraised and it'll appraise for a lot more. I'm just curious if we're purely appraising the property, how does that change based on who's living in the home? If that's something that you know. One would hope that I've read those stories as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one would hope that, you know, as an appraiser, you're going to go in and ethically do your job the best of mm -hmm. your ability. Um, and that's really all I'm comfortable saying about that. <laughs> so. Got it. <laughs> very, very diplomatic. <laughs> all right. So... Kind of to break down a person, I'm, I'm going to take it back a little bit. So you got everything straight with your credit. You got your pre-approval letter. You got your real estate agent. You found a house. You got it appraised and you did your due diligence. So now we're ready to close and we're at the closing table. 
So at the closing table, what's the process like at the at the closing table for people who's looking to purchase or sell their home? Um, it's a it's a wonderful time at the closing table, provided you didn't go out and buy yourself a house full of furniture because now you got this great house and you made this <laughs> you made this huge bill and change your debt to income ratio. So um, I actually talked somebody out of a store the other day <laughs> that's looking for a house, and um, they were like, "Well, it's it's um you know same as cash, and it's you know I have six months to pay for it." I'm like. No, you probably don't want to do that. So <laughs> not right now, not right now. Wait till like, you buy the you house, can right? Walk out of the closing and go buy everything you want, but do not. I promise you, don't. <laughs> so, yeah, so everybody, listen. If you're in the process of buying a house and don't buy a car, don't have any additional bills. Keep everything the same until after you purchase the house. Yes, because they will pull your credit right before you close to make sure mm. there's not a bill that they don't know. They even if there's um. So, like, if Zeke gave Duke, um, you know, $2,000 and Duke put it in the bank, they're going to ask Duke, where'd this money come from? Like, where'd it come from? You have to account for what's going on in the bank account. So, yeah, you just need to just be quiet and buy your house and then you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Hey, is it something where, like, um, let's say, let's say you're your son or daughter was buying a house is there a way that you can give them money in the for, to purchase their house where it can benefit them um like kind of give them money as well is well like anybody that? can give anybody a gift um they don't have to be related um you okay. just have to have a gift letter and that gift letter just states that i'm giving you this money with no expectation of repayment and because if it's a loan then all of a sudden guess what you've also changed your debt to income ratio now all of a sudden you've got this loan you've got to pay back so it has to be a gift letter i think that's important because people when you when you're getting approved by the bank they're going to check your bank records credit report things like that so if you have big lump sums of money that's coming into your bank account they're going to check and see exactly where that came from so that's why i asked that because um i dealt with that myself on my end so well, I had a, a funny situation when I bought a house one time. Um, I did my income tax, and for the first time ever, I had it um, direct deposited into my account. And it was supposed to be deposited two days before I closed, and it wasn't. And mm-hmm. so I went back to the people that were supposed to do it, and they said they'd made a mistake, and they went ahead and deposited it. And then the next day, the direct deposit came in, so it was a double deposit. And I had to go back mm. and I had to write letters about why all that money was in the bank and if mm. it was a loan and if I had to pay it back. And it was it delayed my closing by a day or two because they needed to verify where those funds came from. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Mm. Um, I, I, I do have a, you got a question, Z? Like you're about to say something. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Um, so. I know you've gone through and you've kind of gone over the process from from what do you call it from A to B or A to Z. Uh, I want to kind of go back because we're talking about what the availability in a particular market might be at a certain point in time. And I know right now we're in a seller's market, you know, so obviously the inventory is 
slim to none in a lot of different areas. Um, can you kind of speak to what the seller's market is for our listeners just so they know what that means and then also what a buyer's market well, is? Well, um, a seller's market is just what it sounds like, um, what is supply and demand. And that's how both mm -hmm. markets work. So if you have low supply and high demand, the price goes up. If you have high supply and low demand, the price goes down. So with when there's a higher supply um, and you don't have, you have a house for everybody, then you're not going to have these bidding wars and things like that. Another thing that is making this, it's kind of a seller's and a buyer's market because mm -hmm. the interest rates, as you know, are at historic lows. Yes. Um, right. mm -hmm. They're still well below 4%. Um, and most people are able to buy much, much more house than they had ever anticipated because the payments are affordable. So, right. um, it, it, it can be a buyer's market if you can snag the right house. And if you don't have to pay thousands of over the value, um, the asking mm -hmm. price. So now when someone goes in, let's say right now in a, in a seller's market and let's say they can sell their $250,000 house, but the buyer is willing to go over another 50,000 and spend 300,000. Does that now bring the value of that home to 300,000 on paper or just between in that interact, um, not interaction, the uh, transaction between the seller and the buyer? On paper, it makes the value higher. I actually had this same thing happen. Um, I listed a house um, for about 200,000, the houses were selling between 199 and like 229. Um, we decided to list it at the lower end because it needed a roof and we didn't know how old the air conditioner was, you know, things like that. So we listed it at the lower end. I want to say probably within 24 hours, I had 16 offers on the house and they went over by probably around $40,000. That was kind of the average. Um, by the time we closed, some of the other houses that had been on the market had closed for right around where we ended up. And so it actually drove the value of the neighborhood up because all of them were closing at higher prices. So, I mean, the, the um, appraiser doesn't know you had 16 offers. All they know is you know, when they pull this closed house, this is what it closed for. Right. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this. I know it's a buyer's market. I mean, a seller's market. But for people trying to sell their house and they're trying to maximize the amount they, they can get for their house, what are some things that they can do to their house um, before they sell it? Well, um, I still feel like as a seller, and when I list a house, I'm going to do all those extra things because I want that house to come out smelling like a, a, a rosy piece of cake. So I'm going to do professional photography. I'm going to do staging. I'm going to get the yard cleaned up. I'm going to, you know, do flyers. I'm going to do all the online marketing I can. It doesn't matter if the house goes under contract in two days. I want it to be presented that, that well. And I feel like the seller should do the same thing, you know, declutter and take your personal effects down and make sure your yard is clean. Um, you know, make sure you didn't, you know, have a terrible smelling meal the night before, you know, <laughs> just sort of make sure, make sure your house shows it because while there is a market um, out there, 
for your a buyer for your house you still want your house to be that shiny penny you want those people to come in and give you those offers that are going to be above your asking price there's one thing about curb appeal like you were saying make sure your yard is nice you know you've cleaned the gutters you have all the you know grime and, and, and dirt off of the, the off your, your your walls well your the outside of your your house but i'm thinking on the inside there's definitely been i've gone to a couple of open houses and i've also seen um on some of the television shows where there's some people who are sellers live in their home and have very specific or very eclectic tastes, you know, when it comes to how they decorate colors that they have painted on their walls, things like that. Um, how much of that does really makes a difference when it comes to buyers coming in on the inside, looking at the house as to whether or not they want to make an offer? In my opinion, in my opinion, if it's price right and it sits on the market longer than, say, three weeks, mm -hmm. <laughs> everybody's going to think something's wrong with the house mm. because they're just not lasting, you know? Now, some markets are going to be a little bit different. So like, of course, if you live, I'll say for instance, I have a place in Midtown. If that place in Midtown doesn't sell, then it's probably price or condition. But if all of those things are on online, then it's going to sell. So when it sits on the market longer, then that person is going to come in and say, Hmm. wonder what's wrong with this house. Nobody's even bought it. I'm going to go in. I'm going to mm. offer them a lower price. Yeah. It, and it happens. It's the reality. So. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a big one. But like you said, um, go back. So you have the closing table kind of went over the process with that. But um, obviously I had to find out myself like additional fees that needed to be played at the closing table. So like you have closing costs and obviously you have the uh, the agent and or realtor fees. Like who pays what okay. at the closing table? So in Georgia, um, the seller pays the, the agent's commissions. That's the buyer's agent and the seller's agent. And basically they pay their portion of the taxes for the year. And other than that, that's not their, nothing else is their responsibility. If they decided that they're going to give the seller or the buyer a credit in, in you know, like towards repairs or towards closing costs or anything like that, that'll be on the settlement statement as well. But other than that, the seller is only responsible for paying off their mortgage, paying the commissions, and then any concessions that they've offered to the buyer, maybe a home warranty, maybe they've decided to give them 5,000 in closing, you know, whatever that number is. Uh, the, the buyer, on the other hand, has to pay for all of their closing costs, whatever the seller didn't pay for, and um, whatever the cost of getting that loan is. And yeah, so. All right, so the actual seller pays the agent fees. The yes. buyer does not pay that. Yes. Okay. But everything all is right. negotiable. Okay, yeah, I understand that. Traditionally, <laughs> um, the, the seller does pay that though. Okay, well, you taught me a lot today. Um, I learned a lot, and uh, so the next house purchase that I make, I gave me a couple pointers that I can uh, kind of look at and uh, and I can remember. So, okay. uh, Zeke, you got anything that you want to uh, add? No, I thought I got a lot of really great information. All my questions were answered thoroughly, so I appreciate that because uh, I definitely, I, I know our listeners want to know about this process. 
I know from me on a personal level, I'm looking to purchase some property sooner than later. You know, so, you know, when you said that uh, in Georgia, someone may want to put 2500 down for a house, immediately I thought, like, someone can put 2500 down for a house? Like, that seems like such a low amount. But I also live here in New York, you know, so in New York, your rent's going to be 2500 let alone what you're going to put down for a house, you know, and the value of the homes here as well. You know, so I was thinking about that. Because on a personal level, I was thinking that I would need thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars at minimum, and it may not necessarily be true, you know. So that was kind of informative for me. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of research, um, you know, in the real estate realm of what my responsibilities as the buyer will be, you know, just so I know what I'm getting myself into and what to expect, you know. But then there was still new information that you presented now that, you know, again, you said everything's negotiable, you know, so. You know, kind of go into it with an open mind, you know, really know what I want, make sure I get my pre-approval, get all my ducks lined up to make sure I have everything that uh, puts me in the best possible position and then work from that point forward. Right. Right. You may not get the best deal, but, you know, real estate is one of those, even during the recession, people that bought homes and lost homes, you know, they still came out. Real estate is one of those kind of no fail, you know, it, it it's going to, it's going to work for you. I feel like it's a, it's one of the best inve- investments out there. So. Mm. Well, that's cool. So real quick, what was the worst experience that you had as a realtor? <laughs> it stands out. You kind of like, ah, oh, this is like a, a, a awful experience. And I say, and I, and I say that just for people who are looking to buy a house or, sell a house so they can know what and what not to do to help their realtor to kind of help you in your profession. So what, what was that? Uh, well, I don't know that I've really had any really bad experiences. I, I'm just a firm believer in, um, I, I, I'm a very spiritual person. So I feel like whatever position I'm in, it's, it's a learning, it's a learning, um, event for me. And uh, so, I just sort of, you know, deal with it, learn when I'm supposed to move because I don't want to go through it again if I, if I didn't learn it the first time. Um, the biggest one I would say is I worked with a person twice mm-hmm. and twice they walked away from the transaction at the closing table. And um, Wow. Yeah. So you put in all that work. Twice. And, mm. And uh, well, when we get off here, give me that number. I'll find them. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, I work for free until you reach your goals. And uh, it was basically a lot of time wasted. And, um, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that can definitely be frustrating. Well, let me ask you this. But on the flip side of it, how does it make you feel when you have like a, a couple or anybody just finding the house that they want and you help them reach that goal? Well, I've had quite a few of those this year and, you know, especially during COVID, I've gotten to work with some really great people. I've helped some wonderful people with some flips and um, it's been amazing. I, um, the, the, the best one I would say is these, this couple who had not a whole lot of money and um, they were the people that they got 16 offers. And they didn't expect their house to even be listed for what it was, let alone go over the asking price. And when they walked away from the table, they were 
shocked. Like they were almost in tears from from the table. They never thought that they would be in that financial position that they were in. So yeah, that's gonna be a um, great feeling. Yeah, I thought you know this is why you do it, and it wasn't a million dollar sale, but it was. It felt like a million dollars. I will say right. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty. That's well, amazing. That's it. Thanks for um. Thanks for the coming, the uh, the invite that we gave you. Thank you for taking us up on it. And uh, thanks for answering all our questions, giving us so much information. And also, I want to say, too, Brenda also put me on to my first flip. So thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. It was stressful for a little bit, but it was fun. During COVID. <laughs> During COVID, yes. So. And, and, riot, and riots. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, but that's all I got. Yeah, so it just says that no matter what's going on in the world or how bad things are, if you put forth the effort, take the time and do your due diligence, you can still make it happen. That's right. Got to do another right. one. So. Well, thanks again. You got any kind of social media, um, Instagram, Facebook that you want to um, that you want to say so they can follow you? Um, yes, uh, my um, Instagram is Brenshaw thirteen twenty two, um, and um, Facebook is just Brenda. I don't know how does it Facebook work? How's it work? Is <laughs> oh, Home Sweet Home with Brenda is my business page. Home Sweet Home with Brenda. So home sweet home with Brenda. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. On Facebook. Yes. Uh huh. You on TikTok? No. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I might, but I might <laughs> put something up after this because maybe yeah, maybe so. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I have some TikTok <laughs> connections. So <laughs> there you go. You know. So Brenda, I really appreciate your time. Just like Duke was saying, uh, thank you for taking up on, on our offer. We really appreciate the information. Hope our listeners get um, some, some beneficial information that they go out and use immediately because I know right now with those interest rates being so low, a lot of people are definitely in the market for uh, some property. So uh, take this information, do your research, and uh, take it from there. Duke of all trades, I'm out. Duke of Kendrick, I'm out as well. We'll see you next time. What's up, tribe? I'm Ezekiel Kendrick. And this is Duke of All Trades. And this is $2 Slap. And we want you to be a part of the discussion. Contact us by email at $2slap at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at 2.dollar.slap. Instagram at 2.dollar.slap. And Twitter at 2slap.